John, we're uh, joined by somebody who's in the playoffs, but not going to be in that first round because the Dodgers have yet another buy. It's their manager, Dave Roberts. Yeah, it's great to have Dave on again. He was our first guest. He's uh, If anyone's going to call us a jinx, well, we're not. They've won 100 games yet again, even, even after cutting back fourth time in a row in a, in a full season. So, Robert's a great guest and a great manager. Obviously, we have managerial situations in New York. They do not have one in Los Angeles, at least in Chavez, Chavez Ravine. Yes, we'll be talking about those managerial situations. Buck Showalter out in New York. David Stern's in as the boss of the Mets. What's up with Aaron Boone? We'll, as always, play hit or error in the end if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. John, you and I were both at yet another press conference to announce yet another person in charge of baseball operations uh, for the New York Mets. We, I think we both saw John Rico there, who's probably was the only one in the room who's seen more of him than you and I, because he's been on the podium two or three times as an interim guy. Uh, impressions walking away. We, we've kind of known for a year David Stearns is probably going to be the guy it became official at this press conference. Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed. He speaks very well. I mean, not only does he say the right things, he, he says them well. Uh, I didn't doubt that he was going to be like this. I mean, we've had some dealings with him being in Milwaukee, but, you know, Milwaukee's not a major media market, as we know. And I do think there's a transition. That's my question about council. I think council's a great manager, you know, and I, and, and then Dealing with the media is not the most important thing. Maybe it is to me and you, but not the most important thing. That would be my question on council. I, I think Stern showed that he will be very, very good with the media. And uh, I love the fact that he basically answered the Alonzo question and said, I expect him to be the first baseman. Some people took that as, well, there's wiggle room. He could change his mind. It doesn't mean anything. I believe it. It doesn't make any sense to trade Alonzo and you know, I, I'm not saying he's Mookie Betts, but that obviously uh, the Red Sox have regretted that trade since they made it with a year to go for free agency. I feel like the Mets are going to do the same thing with Alonzo if they do trade him. And I believe them that they're going to at least hold on to him, whether they extend him now or not. Hold on to him and try to sign him as a free agent if you can't do it now, just like the Yankees did with uh, Aaron Judge. Yeah, you know, John, I, I think that uh, one of the things that David Stearns did smartly is when he broke out in the group with the reporters, he mentioned that New York is a different beast. He's from here. He grew up a Met fan. He knows the different beast, but there's still reaction time. Like I always point out, Joey Gallo never played an important game with the Rangers. Literally the first game he played in July of that year with the Yankees is the most important game he's ever played. You got to be like people really care about baseball here. Like like the spring training matters. Like all the games matter in more April 7th matters more than some teams whole seasons around here and you have to get used to that level of intensity when when it's going on. 
Yeah, I mean, he gets it. That's important. Also, the record is outstanding. I know some people are poo-pooing it. What did he ever win? He never got to the World Series. He never won the World Series. Well, you know what? He got to the playoffs four years in a row with small market, not only small market, 30th market, Milwaukee, tied with Cincinnati. The Mets, the most they ever did in their 62-year history was two years in a row. So that's a pretty good record. Yeah, just to go back to the Alonzo thing, John, I, I look, I think – it's always important to parse language with especially the modern executive. He said, I expect, but I also think he probably has a very good idea, for example, what the Brewers offered for two postseasons of Alonzo. He knows that is going to come down. He's now probably gotten briefed on what the Cubs or any other team offered. And he could probably state confidently, I'm going to make it this level to if you even want to get in to talk about Pete Alonso, he probably anticipates that's not going to happen. Why not at least get to July next year, see if the team's in the race or not? Because I think he knows how unpopular it would be to trade this player. And how do you replace the power? Yeah, I mean, they say they're going to compete, right? If you trade Alonso right away, you're not getting pieces that are going to help you compete better. They're already at really two starting pitchers that we know about that are going to be viable starting pitchers with Quintana and Senga. So they got work to do there. The bullpen, you got Diaz coming back. Obviously, you lost Robertson, who was your best reliever while he was here. Uh, that bullpen needs a lot of work. You need probably another hitter, somebody who can actually bat behind Alonzo and protect him. If you begin the offseason trading Alonzo, you've really put yourself behind the eight ball. You know, unless you knew absolutely – you're using Alonzo's, the prospects you get for Alonzo as part of a deal to get Soto and you're going to re-sign Soto a long time or you know Otani's coming and you have some way to replace the power because to your point, they do. I don't think they want to punt on next year. I think they are looking broadly not to do anything to disrupt 2025, 26, 27. But they're, look, the wild card round is just about to begin, John. We know people with the Mets, how sick they are looking at it and going, Miami. Arizona, we're better than these teams, and they couldn't get there. I'm sure San Diego's going through. So they don't want to punt because they know you just have to be kind of good to be in it. So I don't think they remove Alonzo without having another power source. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wouldn't trade Alonzo for Soto in that manner. I mean, I think Soto, you know, if it was a straight-up trade, okay, I get it. But I, I don't see the point of that. You know, I, I do think there is something extra with Alonzo because we do, do know he's good in the clubhouse and we won't go over all that right now, but he's good in the clubhouse. He's homegrown. He's already beloved by the fans. You know, I mean, those are the most important things. I mean, I know Stearns is one if, mistake, if you want to call it that, with Milwaukee was trading Hater, certainly affected the clubhouse. Did he learn something from that? Maybe he did. Obviously, the fans were upset. The manager wasn't thrilled. The owner wasn't thrilled. It does in the long term, it may turn out to be a pretty good trade. They got some good pieces back, including a catcher who was probably their best hitter this year in Contreras when they traded uh Esturi Ruiz, who they got for Hater to get Contreras. But you know, I I I do think Stearns could come up with some good tricky move or something like that that would work in the long term. But you know, we gotta think short term here with the Mets. They cannot have another season like this one. I think they understand that. I hope they understand that. Certainly, Steve Cohn was willing to lose a lot of money this year. Hopefully, he's willing. Not, not that I wish it on anybody. Hopefully, he's willing to lose some money next year as well. Uh, can't have two years in a row like this. 74 and 87 is not going to cut it. Yeah. You know, John, you brought up uh, counsel at the beginning. Obviously, he added to his workload as far as what he has to do in his first offseason. Buck Showalter gone. He's going to have to name a manager. 
you came out right away and said, there's really just two choices here. There's counsel and Dusty Baker. This is not the kind of job you believe for somebody in their first, uh, they, they need an experienced guy. Let me th throw in one thing. Unless they potentially have a wink, wink deal with counsel, and that would be illegal. You know, the potential that counsel and Baker's teams, the Brewers and the Astros could go deep into this postseason. Can the Mets, if they're not 100% positive that like counsel's not going to stay or just retire for a year or Baker isn't going to stay, don't they have to go through a process? And if it's not those two, then the process just has to center to me largely on first time guys. Yeah, I wouldn't do another first-time guy. I mean, in my column today, I talked about the most successful Mets managers. I mean, you could put Showalter in there with 101 wins, but certainly Valentine, Collins, Hodges all had previous experience. Uh, Davey Johnson was the one exception that, you know, he was his first time managing and obviously was a great manager. Ultimately, it's very difficult to pick the next Davey Johnson. I know Stearns has had a terrific record. I know I mentioned the hater situation, but he really has had a terrific record. He has never hired a manager. You know, I mean, we have we've gone through so many first time managers. I won't even count Beltron, who never managed a game. But, you know, obviously you can't do another Mickey Calloway flyer. you got to be sure this time. So I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I did hear him say he wants to grow with the manager. You know, they want to be philosophically on the same page. So even though I think Baker has a good chance to walk away in Houston and be a real free agent, I, I don't consider that a, a real possibility at the moment based on what I heard yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, is it council or bust? Is it council or we'll see? Um, you know, it sounds like he's going to he's willing to be patient and figure it out if he can't get counsel. Didn't say he's looking at counsel, but. I got to think that counsel is the top choice, right? I mean, he, he's one of the best managers in the game. He saw it up close. There can't be some reason that we don't know of that he wouldn't consider counsel, right? Yeah, look, I, again, uh, I, I'll throw in one other thing. I think your point about the veterans, Davey Johnson, I believe, was the AAA manager. So he had all this history with Gooden and Backman and Dykstra in the minor league. So he had an advantage that nobody, I don't think the Mets are looking down into their yeah, minor league. that's still not New to, York, though, right? You that's know, still to, not New York. Yeah, I agree. The, I just go back to the problem with counsel again, which is he has to run this marathon doing an interview process because, again, unless we are saying that people are tampering, doing something illegal, there is a chance that Greg Council could manage a team on November 4th. That's game seven of the World Series this year. The Mets can't really begin this process on November 5th, not knowing what Greg Council's plans are. And so to me, well, like 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 if we get beyond the, those two, like are we talking experience? Don Manningly, John Gibbon, like what are we talking about? I think he has to run the marathon with a bunch of guys yeah. who've never done this. Yeah, he's going to have to have a backup plan. I don't think they've done anything unethical, illegal, whatever you want to call it, and have some backroom deal. I, I can't imagine that they would do that. Uh, and why should counsel do that? I mean, he's sitting pretty at this point, and I don't think he's, you know, I, I understand the money is probably very important to him like it would be anywhere else. But, I mean, you know, he's managing the Brewers, his hometown team. I mean, if anybody ever found out anything like that happened, uh, he wouldn't be allowed back in his hometown. So, uh, and I think it's going to be tough. I mean, if you're Craig Council, I mean, I know guys have done it. I've seen guys make this mistake of going for the extra money, the extra couple million. Uh, you can buy a mansion in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, it's still going to be over a million dollars probably. But, you know, obviously these guys make a lot of money, a lot more than we do. Uh, but, you know, it's it's about the price of, of a one bedroom on the on, in midtown Manhattan. Right. So. The Mets are going to have to outbid by a lot. They're going to have to go beyond Bruce Bochy's 
high right now at six million to even have a chance, I think. But if you're a credit counsel, do you go for that extra one or two million dollars and give up your easy life? The two kids, uh, the two girls are in high school in Whitefish Bay. He has a nice 15 minute commute. Uh, they all love him in Milwaukee. He doesn't have to deal with much media. Uh, his sons are in the Big Ten, though not the new Rutgers part of the Big Ten. The, the real, <laughs> the real Big Ten. As a Northwestern person, I can say this: Michigan and Minnesota. Does it make any sense? I mean, I've seen guys go for the extra million or two before, so it's possible. But why would he do it? I didn't realize we were going to do an episode of Flip This House, but thank you for all <laughs> the uh, real estate stuff, John. We're talking about managers. Let's flip to the other side of town here. Uh, Aaron Boone at some point this week will meet with Hal Steinbrenner. I think we've expected all along Hal Steinbrenner's the kind of guy. He has very strong ties to Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone. He does not want to change those two guys. I think a lot of furniture will get changed this offseason, but I do not think those two guys will get changed. Uh, what do you think of that decision? Well, I mean, you know, Boone has obviously got a great relationship with his bosses. You know, I I found now as I'm getting up there in years, the most important thing is not how you perform. Uh, it's whether you get along with your bosses, right? And he gets along great with his bosses. He gets along great with the players. You know, I, I think it's always been a long shot that uh, he will be removed. It has not been a great year. I've seen people say it's an accomplishment with all their injuries, whatever. This has not been an accomplishment. This is a disappointing season. He has not done a great job. He tries hard. He's a great guy. We all like him. We like him in the media. It's not been a good job. I do expect him back. And certainly Cashman, who's had that long-term relationship, he's in a slump. Let's face it. It's been a few years. Garrett Cole was a great move. I get it. That's been a few years. Jordan Montgomery is starting game one for Texas. The Yankees traded him because they didn't think he could start a playoff game. He's starting game one. So it's been a bad run the last three years. You can say achievement, whatever you want about the, this year, 82 and 80 or whatever they were, is not an achievement. It's been a bad year. They need to make changes. I you Like, like you, I think, I don't believe they're going to make the big changes. And, you know, I get it. It's 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 a tough call. Cashman is probably going to the Hall of Fame. He's won four World Series, but he's in a slump. Let's face it. Yeah, he's in a bad slump. Uh, you know, it goes way beyond Montgomery, but that one exposes a lot of things. Uh, let, let me just refocus back on Davey Johnson. Uh, I'm sorry, on Aaron Boone really quickly. I had Davey Johnson on my mind from the uh, sorry, Lance. But uh, Aaron Boone real quickly. I think that the question is, does he have the ability to change it all? Because I think Hal Steinbrenner has to look at him and say, I have two things I need from you, Aaron. Number one, most important, I understand you're all the players' friends, and you were kind of brought in to be the anti-Girardi. You fulfilled that, like where the players are retied to the manager. But you've got to stop indulging things like Glaber Torres, Harrison Bader, fantasy camp, like that they'll just do anything to have fun on the field, like whatever, the mistakes, et cetera. The second thing is like when Carlos Rodon this is your manager, uh, uh, your pitching coach on the field. You need to follow that out and pull him from the game and deal with it in real time. Do you have the ability to deal with this a toughness issue in real time? That's one. Number two, it's always surprised me about Aaron Boone. He's a third generation baseball guy. You know, grandfather, father, both both baseball guys, both executives after they left the game like him. There feels like a lack of kind of like gut away from the numbers. And I never want to be totally anti-analytics, but like the idea of who he lets around his team in the clubhouse, in the dugout, and what is preached without him distilling it and saying, wait, I was a player. This is too much, or this is ridiculous. So I think 
Can he get tough on players? Can he get tough on numbers? I think that's what Hal Steinbrenner has to hear. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it's more of a knack rather than he's a third-generation baseball player. And I covered the Angels with Bob Boone, and, and Aaron was around the team every once in a while, so he probably doesn't mind that family atmosphere. I'm not sure that's what's undoing them. I, I do think he does need help in the dugout. He may be great in the clubhouse. Uh, they might need to look at the some of the coaching staff. I don't know if there's a Don Zimmer type available, but that certainly helped Joe Torre. I think Joe Torre, Hall of Fame manager, I think Don Zimmer – uh, is one of the biggest reasons for that. Uh, you know, you n- have to know when to push the right button. Uh, you know, I, I heard the criticism of Boone uh, that, you know, that Rodon was willing to do that to Blake, that that's that's a criticism uh, that on Boone. I, I didn't see that. What you said, I agree with. I see that. Uh, he should have pulled him. That's the criticism. That, I think you got it exactly right. It's not that he that Rodon did this. It, that's Rodon. You know, at the, in the spur of the moment, he might do something like that. We saw him blow a kiss. So, but you got to be ready to then make the move and get him out of there. He, he was pitching like garbage anyway. Uh, that would have been the right move at that moment. Yes, I agree. Well, just, just, just to wrap this up, John, is what I'll say is For a lot of this year, for the last few months, we've known they're not making the playoffs. The most important thing Aaron Boone could have done is establish how you want to play the game and behave. And there were lots of moments where he could have dealt with some of the mistakes by Torres or Bader before he moved on the field. And certainly like when he said about Rodon, well, it's the end of the season or I might have. Well, the guy's got five more years left on his contract. Can you show him you will not tolerate that level of disrespect? That, that occurred on the mound. And so I just don't know if Aaron Boone has that gear, like the ability to play tough cop. To your point, does it have to be like a bench coach who does it? Like, and again, I'm just throwing this out. Like, do you have to hire back Phil Nevin to be his buddy, Phil Nevin to be the bench coach, who at least is, I think, would get up in somebody's grill and say, oh, he definitely would. <laughs> you know, like this is unacceptable. But I mean, I do think, that the temperament of the team needs to change in that way. Look, uh, we were going to be joined by a man. We talked about managers on both uh, New York teams. We'll be talking to the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dave Roberts, who will be taking his team to the playoffs yet again, if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and Johnny. John and I are so happy to have Dave Roberts for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one, is that he was number one, the first guest ever on this podcast. But also, I get to say that Dave Roberts is in the playoffs. Once again, I think you're eight for eight, seven division titles. And I went and looked at this. The three best records in Dodger history were recorded with Dave Roberts as the manager of the team. And by the way, that's an organization that goes back to 1884. And so, Dave, thank you so much for joining us yet again on the show. No, gosh, Joel, John, you guys are the best, and I have so much respect for you guys. And yeah, when you when you talk about you know context of history, that that's mind blowing stuff. So, uh, as you guys know, I, I like to live in the moment, uh, but when you kind of take a look back, it, it just it's mind blowing. I'm very fortunate to be a part of this organization. So, just just as as a first question, this was an organization that this year maybe had that feeling of they stepped back payroll wise. Uh, didn't do the big star stuff in the offseason. Uh, was going we're going to break in a lot of young players. Why do you think it were a hundred wins, seventh division title in eight years for you, tenth and eleven years for the organization? Why did it work this year, Dave? You know what I, I, I I'm telling you, and obviously um, 
you know, you have to have good players. Um, and we've got a good group of players, uh, great character. Um, and, and I think the thing is that people talk a lot about it. I know you guys know that I talk a lot about culture and I just think it creates an opportunity for guys uh, that are new to an organization that are unfamiliar territories, uh, territory or young players that come to the big leagues, an opportunity to thrive and be themselves. And, and I just feel really confident uh, in what we uh, provide uh, for players, for coaches uh, to get the best of themselves uh, each year. And um, yeah, I think that initially we were sort of not written off, but certainly not looked or picked to 100 games and um, just the consistency of how we go about things, I think played out as such. Dave, thanks again for joining us. I think uh, now you're one of a, a small group of uh, multi-time uh, guests, so we appreciate that. I think we, Steve Cohn has been on a couple times, Billy Epler. I'm not sure who else. Joel probably has the list right in his head, but thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, I had you as the manager of the year this year, but a lot of good managing jobs in the National League. Snicker obviously did a great job. Um, you know, Council did a great job. Lavello, there were a lot of very, very good jobs. What did you do this year? I mean, you've lost basically your whole rotation. Kershaw's the only one left, and he's not completely whole. Uh, how difficult was this for you? Uh, it, it was. It was. Um, it was a tough one, um, John. Um, but I think that with that, in that same breath, it was my most uh, satisf satisfying job. I think, and I speak for for the coaches as well. Um, you look at how many young players impacted a hundred win team uh, rookies and, you know, to get these guys to get up to speed, major league speed and be huge contributors. Um, I'm proud of that. And I think that, you know, when you get Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan, Ryan Pepio, um, James Altman, uh, Michael Grove, um, up here and they're big contributors and have to learn on the fly that's doing something and that's coaching and uh, that's our job so I think for us it wasn't idyllic but uh, you know we made the most of it and sometimes you know the best situation is something you have no other options and uh, we were kind of thrust these players were thrust into the situation as being big league ball players for the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, we made it work which I'm proud of. You know, Dave, one of the questions coming down the stretch uh, was who's going to be the NL MVP, something we're not going to find out for, for a while yet until after the postseason is done. And you obviously have one of the two main candidates. You have two of the main candidates, right? Freddie Freeman is going to finish in the top three or four. But this comes down to Acuna or Betts. I suspect I know who you think should be the MVP. Make a case for your guy. Why, why should Mookie Betts be the National League most valuable player? Well, first off, um, baseball is in a really good spot. If you're talking about just one league and you're talking about those four players uh, of great character, great talent, and certainly put forth amazing seasons. Uh, my case uh, for Mookie Betts uh, is it, it's it's the versatility piece. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, to be able to be a gold glove right fielder, to play gold glove second base, uh, to go from the outfield grass to the dirt uh, really doesn't happen. I mean, you're talking Robin Yount stuff. Um, and, and so to be able to do that, uh, to still be able to hit 39 homers, score 100 runs, drive in 100 runs, 
um, allow for, I mean, the thing is, guys, is, is that you're talking about most valuable player and it's a constant yearly debate is, is it the best player or is it the most valuable player on a team? Because I'll tell you this, if it's the most valuable player on the team, um, Mookie Betts' ability to play on the dirt allows for Jason Hayward to play, who had a 900 OPS this year. So we're just not the same team. Um, then you could argue, if the, you know, Ronald's numbers. So they're both great, but I just think the availability, the versatility of Mookie is a uh, separator. Yeah, I'm not sure. If Joel, you mentioned uh, the other player, I think, in the top four is Matt Olson. Uh, certainly a case can be made uh, for Mookie Betts. Uh, you know, my feeling is that probably – fair or not kind of history will and headlines will kind of tell the tale and we think Acuna will probably win you know what I'm interested in right now is you've pieced together the rotation somehow winning 100 games now for the fourth consecutive year in the big years in the years that we didn't have the pandemic you won the world series in the year that you did we did win the pandemic we did have the pandemic how do you piece together the rotation right now? A lot of people are looking at it like you're going to have to use openers. You, you know, I mean, you did it, you know, in that 2020 season using Urias as a closer at times, certainly. So you did some unusual things. How are you going to do it? Do you have any, I guess Kershaw's a starter, a full starter. Maybe Miller is. Is anybody else a full starter for six plus innings for you? And how are you going to piece it together? You know what? I, I think that, um, you know, to be honest with you, John, I, I don't see any of these guys really being six plus innings. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think that the collection of 12 to 13 arms, um, I, I think the arm town is really special. It's they're unique. Um, I, I think that there's not a lot of familiarity uh, with other hitters. So I think that from one side, it could be a position of strength. Um, certainly there's an unknown for some of our young players in the postseason. Um, but I think we're just going to kind of throw a bunch of different looks at guys and uh, and go from there. And I really feel that uh, we're going to prevent runs. And, you know, when you're facing ones and twos, it's going to be tough. But also, you know, there's some power arms that we're going to be throwing at guys. So I feel good, again, that we'll prevent runs. I wonder if you could, if I could delve a little deeper into that, Dave. It does put some pressure on you. You're pitching uh, people to make decisions during the game. Uh, you know, it's a, if you had a traditional situation, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw in, in, in closer to his prime, you know, that that kind of group of guys, Urias, unfortunately, uh, you know, those kind of guys, you kind of have some rope. How much do you pre-program, hey, this is how much we want to do versus watching the real-time game and figuring out how to navigate 27 outs? I, I think it's a lot of watching the game. Uh, I, I think the thing is, Joel, is, I, I, you know, there's a there's some of the the pre-programming, the script that, that happens in baseball, I guess. But I think for us, I mean, I think that early on, it kind of got a lot of traction with that. But I watch the game, and, and if certain things are happening um, – you know, we have a lot of neutral pitchers, and so that's a good thing. But I think if the stuff's still coming out good. Um, but I do think that one thing I will keep an eye on, though, is familiarity. You know, uh, two times through, three times through, uh, the numbers are consistent as far as uh, the hitter's success. So uh, having other guys in the stable and varying looks, I think, is going to be a good thing. And also, again, it's a power of strength that I feel we can deploy guys whenever we choose. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of conversations um, with people um, 
front office coaches, just kind of, I like to take information and figure out, you know, where everyone sits, uh, stands. And then, you know, I'll make the decision with Mark Pryor accordingly during a game. You know, healthy or not, Kershaw has a 2-5 ERA basically consistently every year, probably the best pitcher over the last couple decades at least. Where does he stand now in terms of his shoulder? And, you know, there have been rumors that he may retire after the year. He probably had a good enough year. You would think he would come back. He's certainly been very good once again. And would he, would he definitely be a Dodger? You know, there are rumors that his hometown team in uh, Dallas or Arlington might uh, be interested. So I'll work backwards. Um, I don't know if he's coming back. I, I've kind of thought that it was an option the last three years. Um, and then, you know, kind of getting into January, he decides that he wants to play and feels that like he can be a contributor. Uh, it's a certainly a family decision with him and his wife, Ellen. Um, and Texas certainly uh, was in play last winter. I know he has a good relationship with Chris Young. Uh, I don't know. I know he loves being a Dodger. So if he does come back to pitch, I would assume it would be with the Dodgers. And that's my honest answer. Um, Health-wise, I think he's in a really good spot. I, I think if you look back at five weeks ago to where we're at today, uh, each week, each outing, it's gotten better. And so if you look at kind of how we've used him, he went into the sixth inning, touched the sixth his last outing. So I think that's probably the extent of it, even looking out into the postseason. But Clayton's been fantastic. And even when he's not 100% healthy, guys, he still – competes he still puts up numbers and uh he like i've said before man he just wills himself to success and yeah i mean you're talking about the last 20 years uh, you know he's in an elite group and probably at the top of that list you know uh dave uh i i'm just thinking about your team and legacy a little bit uh john mentioned you won the pandemic year the world series it's a world series it goes down on your record but this team has been the dominant team for a little over a decade now, getting in the playoffs every year. I mentioned your 100 win seasons. I think you have five in your eight years. You've gone into the postseason a lot as the favorite. What does it mean to your and the organization's legacy to get through one of these again as the last team standing? Um, it, it would mean a lot. Um, I, I think that you know all that everyone's had to go through, and whether you're the favorite, the expectation to realize that or – not the favorite, and to ultimately realize that um, it's special. And, and it takes a lot of work from a lot of people. Uh, legacy is something I really, uh, a word that I really take a lot of pride in, and um, that speaks to consistency and, and quality of work. Um, so I'm proud of that. I understand that the playoff structure is is different than when you guys first started covering baseball and, and you two really understand that and appreciate that it's hard to win a championship. Um, uh, and not to say it wasn't 40 years ago, but when 44 teams are getting to the dance um, versus 16, it's different. Um, so um, it, it's a lot of hard work. Again, I, I hope it happens. We're going to do everything we can. I think the experience with some of our guys, the newness of some of our guys, I love this group of men. And so I'm just hoping that we can keep this group together uh, through October. Yeah, you're right. Uh, if there was only four, you'd be in every year anyway, it seems. So uh, it is a little bit more difficult now. I want to ask you a 
tough question, but I know you're a smart guy. Um, Julio Arias, he was a big part of the 2020 championship. I'm assuming now he hasn't pitched in a while. There's been no resolution to his case, so we don't know exactly how that's going to turn out. But I'm assuming he's not going to be back this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. And is there any chance that he could be back with the Dodgers? It doesn't feel like there is. You know what? Uh, first off, it's a very unfortunate situation. I, I think the world of Julio and when when you spend eight years with the with the player, a person, uh, you get to know him and you get to care about him. And uh, so uh, what, what we heard, uh, still haven't seen any video. Um, obviously, Major League Baseball, um, you know, law enforcement, they're doing their, their due diligence and he's on the restricted list. So we haven't seen him. We haven't heard from him. Um, and so obviously he's not going to be pitching for us this year. And as far as what the future holds, I have no idea. Um, I just, uh, and saddened, uh, it's a gut punch for everybody. And, uh, it's one of those things that you, you gotta feel for the whole situation, but you gotta keep moving forward and we got jobs to do. Right. You mentioned, you know, Urias, you didn't get an inning this season from Walker Bueller, not a much from Gonzalez and Dustin May a compromise Clayton Kershaw. We, we, we cover baseball in New York and we do the national, but we cover baseball in New York every day. And we have two organizations that have kind of Dodger envy. The Yankees want to be kind of the East coast uh, Dodgers and Steve Cohen hasn't hit it. He wants to be like you guys. What is it about? What, what are you doing so well that you bring in a Bobby Miller, you bring in an outman and you, the machine keeps going. You mentioned Pepio, she, and guys who are going to play important parts. If you're going to be the last team standing, why are you guys good at this? So I, I can't uh, – I don't want to divulge all of our trade secrets, Joel. <laughs> it's just the three of us. So, no, Joel, you, you guys are East Coast guys. And, and see, here's the thing is that sometimes I love that you guys wake up and check a box score or see some highlights because you don't get to see the secret sauce that we have out there. <laughs> My no, bedtime. No. It's past my bedtime. Sorry. No, I, right. I thought that's the right. only secret sauce out west was on the In and Out Burger. You've got that's to right. That's right. So that's already out. Yes, that um, is good. No, you know what, man? Uh, scouting. I, I mean, I'll tell you right now. It's like our scouting guys. We, we we do a great job, and you guys know that. Shoot, we're we're picking twenty eighth, 29th, 30th every year, and um, we still find a way to get good players and. A lot of our scouts look at and and really dig into the makeup, and so and then you get to the player development part. And I think that with the PD and we're really synced up on the old school um, Donnie Alexander on the pitching with Rick Honeycutt there, and then we've got uh, you know some new school stuff too. And then so once they get to us, uh, I think our coaches do a fantastic job of still developing and pouring into players. And and we mentioned it at the top you know, the culture and just making feel got making guys feel comfortable. And, you know, certainly LA is not New York um, and expectations and, and, and guys like you two that are just uh, wearing down these young players uh, and expectations. So LA is a little bit of an easier uh, transition, um, but you know, I, I don't know the answer. I, I just know that there's a certain expectation we have uh, to go out there and win every year. And um, I'm not saying it's easy to realize it. The fun part is going through the process, the practice, the dog days where, you know, we're in April and May and we're written off. We're under 500 playing middling baseball, but we continue to remain steadfast, persevere. And here we are 
So I, I again, I don't know the answer. I just know that you know every year we we go about trying to win one baseball game a day, and you look back and you're like, man, we had a pretty good regular season, and now we got to take this momentum into the postseason. You know, you're a big market team that usually spends near the top, but uh, somehow you get uh, the most out of guys that you bring in on a shoestring. Uh, obviously, lost. Uh, in the last couple of years, uh, Seager, who's an MVP candidate, Bellinger, who has regained his form. I don't know whether he was hurt or what, but he's certainly close to back to what he was originally. But I want to ask you about the guys that came in, uh, J.D. Martinez and particularly uh, Hayward. Uh, I was with you in spring training in early March, and I don't remember who told me, but somebody said to me, you know, Hayward's going to make this team. And I was surprised at the time. Uh, at age, I think, 34, he's had his best year. Um you know, how do you get these years in their mid-30s out of uh, and, and for a relative song compared to the guys you lost uh, out of Martinez and particularly Hayward? Yeah, you know, so uh, it, it's funny. Quick story. I was uh, with my wife yesterday and we're, we're going on shopping down in San Diego and I run into Xander Bogarts. And uh, he's like, hey, man, how you doing? Congratulations. And he's like, how the heck did you guys get J.D. Martinez to play so well? He goes, I was teammates and I knew he was good and still going to be okay. Um, but I didn't expect this. And, you know, JD missed a lot of time and still drove in hundred runs, hit 30 homers. And I'll tell you, I give Robert Van Skoyak a lot of credit. Um, he's the guy that went to bat for him with uh, Andrew and Brandon Gomes to acquire him. And, um, and so, you know, bring him, bring him to Los Angeles, a place he wanted to be, getting back with his old teammate and good friend Mookie Betts. That was fantastic. And also, J.D. took a lot less uh, to bet on himself uh, and to kind of restore his career. So I give J.D. a lot of credit. He's an absolute pro, and I just love spending time with him. And that kind of theme, you know, dovetails to uh, Jason Hayward in the sense of betting on himself. Um, he had another year with the, with the uh, Cubs, was uh, non-tendered or released or whatever. And uh, he wanted to come to the Dodgers, his best friend, uh, Freddie Freeman, to kind of be teammates again. And he bet on himself. Once we signed him, he came to L.A. for about a month in December, uh, was away from his kids, worked out, got with our hitting guys, and then cleaned some things up. And then you look back at what he's done and – He's uh, now he's got an opportunity. He's a new player. I mean, he, his swing is a lot more clean. He's playing gold glove defense. I mean, if it wasn't for Tatis, this guy's going to win, would win the gold glove uh, in right field. So, and uh, the last thing I'll say about Jason is everything I've talked about on the field, what he's impacted, how he's impacted our clubhouse is tenfold more impactful. You know, and I want to bury part of a story of the Dodgers this year. We glossed over it at the beginning when we were talking a little bit about Mookie Acuna. John mentioned Matt Olson. You do have Freddie Freeman on your team. And I'm pretty sure that if you told me I had to bet all my money for one at bat against the pitcher who any pitcher in the world, I would take Freddie Freeman to take that at bat. Uh, that's how good a hitter I think he is. Tell After managing him now uh, uh, for a couple of years, what do, do we not see in the box score? What do we not see in wins above replacement? What, what what do you have in Freddie Freeman? What, what people don't see is, and that's a great question, Joel. What people don't see and you can't appreciate if you don't watch this guy play every single day is there's, call it, 300 pitches in a game. He doesn't take one off. And when he's in the batter's box, it doesn't matter the score, the count, the pitcher, the handedness. He does not 
he competes every single pitch. And I've made this reference, a guy that I really have a lot of respect for and I, I played against. Um, I'd never seen anything like it uh, since Todd Helton. And uh, that was a very intense and certainly different makeups of guys. But Freddie Freeman, I've never seen a player um, compete the way he does. And the routine, um, what he's done for our culture and being a professional and how he plays the game. This guy had 59 doubles. I would say that a dozen of those doubles at least should have been singles would have been singles for anyone else outside of Freddie Freeman. And um, this guy, the care, the desire, the will to post every day and to win pitches is just remarkable. Dave, uh, before we let you go here, we, we are doing this on the dawn of the postseason. You guys have a bye out of the first round. Anything just big picture? You're going to be a, a viewer too, uh, a fan for the first round. You've been in a ton of these now. What, what are you thinking as these playoffs begin? You know, I, I'm, I'm going to watch them. I, I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited. I, I'm, I'm going to be a fan uh, in the American League with keeping a little bit of a watchful eye. Uh, certainly going to be locking into the D-backs and, and the Brewers. Um, we've got a lot of history with the, with the Brewers and obviously in the regular season with the D-backs. Um, this is going to be fun, you know, and it's like I just think that there's just so much talent I'm looking forward to the Twins finally winning a playoff game. Um, you know, I, I get to see my good buddy Boach and, and CY and Will Venable, the assistant associate manager over there. So I'm going to be locking in. It, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it is nice to sit back and not have to grind through a wild card series. So we'll get our guys ready. We will be ready. The Dodgers will be ready. But uh, I'm just as much of a fan. I'm a fan first. So it's going to be a fun postseason. Dave, I, as we say goodbye, I held back one thing because I wanted everyone to know. 160 human beings have managed at least 900 games in Major League history. The best winning percentage of those 190 is Dave Roberts, 630. Uh, it could get missed when you play, when you have a great team that there has to be a manager in charge of it. Also, I watched everyone underappreciate Joe Torre uh, during years. Somebody has to be in charge, and I didn't want it to go that we don't recognize that you have been the man in charge of a lot of winning there. So Dave Roberts, as we did the first time you were our guest, we thank you for joining us and we wish you the best of luck in the playoffs. You know what? Uh, thank you guys, Joel, John. I got so much respect for you guys. Thank you for saying that. And uh, what I think I told you before is you guys are baseball lifers. You love our game and um, you guys are great advocates. And I just think that baseball is really coming and I just want uh, our game to, uh, just I want everyone to talk about baseball, play baseball. And I just really appreciate you and what you do for our game. So thank you, guys. Of course, we thank our guest, Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. John, playoffs about to begin. We get to play hitter error for the last time before the postseason. Yeah, I'll give a hint to MLB. Attendance was up 9.6%. I think a lot of it had to do with the new rules. The more stolen bases, you can't throw over endlessly to first base. The bases are bigger. It's funny, the, the rules that turned out to be uh, a big deal were not the ones we expected. We thought the banning of the shift was the big rule. That didn't turn out to be the big one, at least I don't think. And uh, the other ones were huge, particularly the time of game. Shaved 24 minutes. That's a plus for us writers, but I think it was a plus for the fans as well. Yeah, among the deep dive the Yankees will have to do is, you know, they another place they had a guru, a base-stealing, base-running guru, they – 
the rules were liberated. Uh, everyone stole more. The percentage was higher. Not the Yankees. Same exact numbers from last year. Something they'll have to dig into. That's an error. I don't know what to call this a hit or an error, but we mentioned Phil Nevin before. At this point, we have four open managerial jobs, Mets, Guardians, Giants, and Angels, with the possibility, I think, of Brewers, Padres, and Astros before this whole thing is done. And maybe the Angels decided that Phil Nevin has to go. But I think one of the ways to think about, like, was this his fault or not, is whether I just list the four that are actually available or I want to go to seven, that's the seventh best job. That's the seven. To work for Artie Moreno is the seventh best job available this offseason. And to me, it says something ab uh, about that job. 2014, the last time they made the playoffs, them and the Tigers, the longest Phil never hasn't been the manager since 2014. No, but you get to live in uh, Newport Beach. You, you, there's a, there's yes. a, a positive about anything. And I, uh, we're going to flip the house again. We're now talking I, about real estate again, <laughs> living in Newport Beach. John, well, we're on the know, wrong I, podcast. You know, we're in the, they're in the dugout in the clubhouse a lot of the time, but you, you have to live too. So uh, you, you're probably right. That's, that's not a great job at the moment. And we don't think Otani's probably going back there. So, and they've traded. You got to manage Otani. Uh, you got to manage Trout to the end of his career, which will be the next few years will be the worst years of his career. It's not, not a great job. Yeah, fair. Well, we are going to begin the playoffs. John and I will be with you throughout the playoffs, throughout the offseason. If you stick with us, the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, a podcast from the New York Post. Thank you to our producers, as always, Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz. Uh, don't forget, this uh, episode drops on the Yes app about noon on Wednesday uh, every week. Uh, rate, subscribe, listen to us on Apple, uh, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please give us a five-star rating if you think about it. And here we go, John. The second season will be with, uh, I'll be with you someplace along the way, probably by the World Series. I think you're going to do the NLCS at some point. I'll do the ALCS. We'll meet the World Series, jump right to the GM meetings, and we'll talk about it all on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayman.